Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Saloni Kanani. And I'm Priya Dufton. And this is Brown Skin, White Lies. How are you guys all doing? Yeah, how's everybody? We've got a really exciting episode in store for you today. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about the current diversity in theater education across different boards like universities, schools, all that kind of stuff. It'll be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're actually going to have a special guest for this episode. Yes, his name is Professor Arnab Banerjee. I actually work with him as well as a research assistant. Um, and a lot of the work he focuses on is specifically Indian theater history and a lot of the literature surrounding that. Um, a lot of the works that we do focuses on what the different histories are, what the different types and forms of theater that exist um, in Indian history. Um, but you know, we're gonna let him do a yeah, lot we'll of let the explaining. Him introduce himself and everything. Uh-huh. But it'll be a really interesting episode. We'll talk all mm-hmm. about the current diversity that yeah. exists in education models and the lack of diversity exactly. as well. Um and, and hopefully have some really cool conversations. Mm-hmm. And like what we wanna see in the future as yeah. well. Um but yeah, it's a great day in Los Angeles, a great day to record, a great day to listen to this episode. Yeah, so grab a snack, get some get some chai. Get some and, good stuff. Um, and we'll get started with the episode. <laughs> All right, welcome. So could you first give us just a little bit of background on who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Arnold Banerjee, and I'm an associate professor of theater history and dramatic literature at Loyola Marymount University in in what is now known as Los Angeles. And um, I, I study contemporary Indian performance. That's kind of uh, my thing. But I'll, but since I study it in the United States, I can't kind of. I sort of couldn't help but notice mm-hmm. all the South Asian uh, members of the community in the United States and the ways that they were uh, using performance or that the way mm-hmm. uh, that performance was a way for them to gain kind of you know cultural agency in the United States. So I also started looking at that and investigating that briefly uh, in my in my work, and that has kind of morphed into um, and has found a life of its own. So. Uh, so I do essentially two things. I study South Asian American performance, mm-hmm. and I also look at uh, contemporary Indian performance in India. And how did you kind of get into theater, theater education? What brought mm-hmm. you into this career path? Uh, <laughs> a desire to see the world, I suppose. Uh, so I was uh, I was finishing up a master's in English literature in uh, in India in Eastern mm-hmm. India where I where I grew up where I went to college, and one of my mentors at my university uh, Jadavpur University which is uh, which is a, a great university in Eastern India, mm-hmm. um, he had gotten a PhD in theater studies from the University of Illinois in Urbana Champaign, mm-hmm. and uh, you know so I liked his classes because I was always into theater I was always I was doing theater from as long as I could remember but. I somehow never thought of theater as a full-time career option mm-hmm. because that's just not how it was presented to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't think that I was a good enough actor that I could just take that risk and plunge into it. So so I never thought about it. And then this mentor, Dr. Anandulal, who I continue to be in touch with and we occasionally talk, 
he was like, uh, what do you want to do now that you're finishing up your master's? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, maybe sports journalism as something that I could do and I could keep performing on the week, uh, on the side. Uh, to which his response was, or he could go to the United States and get a PhD and do something with that mm-hmm. uh, since you're interested in theater, since you have been interested about it. Uh, which piqued my interest because I also wanted to see the world. I wanted to go to various places. And he was like, yeah, that's this one way of doing it. And they pay you to go see various places. So maybe explore this a little more. And which is what I literally started doing. I wrote a, wrote up a kind of introductory essay, if you will. Mm-hmm. Sent it out to a bunch of people in the United States. Uh, some of them responded. Some of them did not. And uh, lo and behold, a few months later, well, almost six, seven, eight months later, mm-hmm. I found myself in the uh, in the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first couple of years, I had I really had no idea what I was doing. I felt like a fish out of water. Uh, water. I wasn't into research and writing. I didn't find those things exciting to, uh, to be particular. I longed for performance opportunities which I thought was something that would happen. None of that happened. and uh, But then gradually I got into it, thanks to my advisor, Dr. Farley Richmond, who was like, you should look at Bengali performance and not worry about performance as an Indian phenomenon because that's just too big. Mm-hmm. So narrow down, look at it, and this is how you research. And so I, I literally learned, uh, you know, it was trial by fire. I learned as I went with every step of the way. I had no experience of doing any of this uh, prior to that. Mm-hmm. And once I finished, I just wanted to, I because I found the process of learning this so enjoyable, I just wanted to talk and help others learn about it just as much as I had enjoyed. Um, and then I was very lucky. I got a couple of opportunities and here I am still doing it. Yeah. And um, theater, how'd you get into education? Like, uh, like wanting to teach to this be, material. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, wanting to teach this particular material, I would say that it was like that, that, this is what I study. This is what I know. This is my yeah. this is my culture. These are my people. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I also noticed one thing in the academy that large parts of Asia, but also South Asia, were imagined in very stereotypical mm-hmm. or small boxes. So, you know, for South Asia, it was the it was some of our food that we had successfully marketed globally and Bollywood. And that is all that people knew about it. Uh, and I wanted to kind of also emphasize that there is much more to us and our culture yeah. beyond it. And that we are a modern, thriving, urban culture. And here are all these things that one can learn about, one could know about. And that's how that's how I would say I got into engaging with this material. Uh, Do you want to introduce our special guest sure. while she's here? <laughs> yeah, so I'm accompanied uh, by my 16-month-old daughter, uh, who who goes by Syra. Well, <laughs> we hope she will. Uh, but uh, it's also formally referred to as Ariana. Uh, she's uh, she has zero stranger anxiety, so she's currently busying, uh, waving at people. Yeah. <laughs> and is munching on French fries because you can't ever start young. So, mm-hmm. so um, we would just like to know what are you currently focusing on in terms of your personal endeavors outside of teaching mm-hmm. and your own personal research and work? Right. So, research, I mean, teaching does take up a lot of the mm-hmm. time, uh, especially because I am at a teaching-heavy institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think 
just it's part of my teaching uh, that my research kind of you know, you know flows into it. So one of the things again that I noticed as I began uh, teaching this material was the paucity of material itself. There was not a lot of plays. There's lot, not a lot of material that is about contemporary or modern Indian theater mm -hmm. that is readily available for an American classroom. Right. Now, of course, this is easier in India, right? Because there's also other languages that mm -hmm. are accessible to people, which is not always the case here. So one of the ways that uh, that I thought this problem could be addressed is if I started translating some of the stuff myself. And so that's something that I have been working on in in the recent uh, recent years, I would say, where I'm just translating pieces from Bengali mm -hmm. and Hindi, mm -hmm. which, that, which are the two languages that are most readily available to me right. uh, into English mm -hmm. uh, and trying to disseminate them as much as possible. The other ways that I remain performatively engaged is through dramaturgy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I try to seek out opportunities that are particular or that have a South Asian uh, angle to it for the mm -hmm. lack of a better way of putting it but that's always that's not always the case sometimes I do have to you know work or consult on material that is uh, of, of a larger general interest I recently helped a student dramaturg on uh, on everybody the Brandon Jacob Jenkins play mm -hmm. that we produced in the department mm -hmm. uh, prior to that I was working on Twilight by Anna Devere Smith which is a slightly older piece now Mm -hmm. And uh, prior to that, I was working with Diversity Awareness Picnic, which is an Asian-American uh, theater piece, very important, I mm -hmm. think. Uh, but so, so dramaturgy and translation work are the two ways that I kind of remain engaged in performance. Uh, but I think theater studies, because our research itself is so performatively mm -hmm. engaged, that there's always a performative component, even when I'm not in the theater or not on stage directly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, and you talked a bit about how you've always enjoyed theater, been mm -hmm. interested in it, but do you have mm -hmm. any inspirations growing up that kind of push you to pursue theater, either people in your life or mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. that you watch that really inspired you? Sure. Uh, my mother was, uh, my mother is a classical, trained classical uh, Indian uh, vocalist. Mm -hmm. She never got to um, explore that artistic side of her because, you know, middle class Indian existence, marriage, etc., settling down and so she she never uh, performed uh, professionally but she she always kind of thought of me or imagined me as a performer and mm -hmm. therefore wanted to me to learn the ropes of music so that that got me into a bit of performance and then the other person of, uh, was of, kind of, of my dad who's who was very culturally conscious growing mm -hmm. up. He was uh, the secretary of a cultural club mm -hmm. in North, in central Calcutta where he grew up. And so as part of that, he would host a lot of artists, major artists of the day, a lot of them theater artists. So he was, he was also kind of this organizing, producing aspect of performance. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing those, again, never saw him do any of it, but hearing those stories, hearing him kind of meet up, uh, organizing these events, um, got me excited, got me intrigued about the process, uh, and and so I started performing, doing stuff in school and yeah. as part of my school education, mm -hmm. uh, which is where I think it all began. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say is the difference in theater, like 
education and theater in general in Georgia versus Los Angeles. Oh my God, <laughs> hell in heaven. Um, well, okay, let me recap. Uh, it's, it's slightly more nuanced than that. So Athens, Georgia is a very, it's, it's one of the more liberal, it's one of the more progressive towns in the state of Georgia, which has, you know, as we all know probably at this point, um, has has quirky politics. Has very has very strange things that happen to it, except for some some very specific uh, urban bubbles, mm-hmm. right? So Atlanta obviously has a large yeah. African American population. Historically, has had a large African American mm-hmm. population. Has had African American leadership in the form of mayors, etc. Uh, but at the state level, none of that is usually represented in the same way. Athens, on the other hand, is very is a very interesting town because there's this like a there's a counterculture that happens that is that is present in that space. So there were a couple of very interesting uh, local theater companies that uh, what do you call those? It's kind of like um, community theater. Okay. There are a couple of very interesting community theater comp- companies that were doing all kinds of interesting stuff. They produced Dracula one year, which was absolutely magnificent because you saw a lot of blood on stage. It was just like <laughs> everything was bloody and gory and it was kind of awesome. Uh, and, the, and then touring shows occasionally came through. There was a large theater called uh, uh, on, in, in, in uh, Athens called the Classic, uh, Classic Theater, I believe. And they had some touring shows. And then Atlanta got all of the major American touring shows as well mm-hmm, in the yeah. Fox Theater in Atlanta. It's such an important big theater, uh, big center. And then there were some interesting smaller theater venues around Atlanta. And that has changed significantly since I've left Georgia, uh, which was in 2014. Okay. Uh, whereas, you know, Los Angeles uh, is, is the, I, I think it's the incubator for uh, major American theater. If you mm-hmm. think of all the major, uh, even if you look at all the major Broadway shows, you will see that they usually tried it out somewhere in Southern California, maybe with the Center Theater Group, or maybe with the San Diego Rep, maybe with the, uh, maybe with the, uh, you know, sh- the Shakespeare Company uh, down near San Diego. So there's a lot of very interesting, quirky things that happen here and happen much more regularly because it's such a large community right. of performers. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have the 99-seat theater phenomenon, which allows so many people to get their foot in the door, mm-hmm. even if they don't have the necessary backing yeah. of a large company or a large union space, you know. So they, they can, they, they, we have these things here. I mean, it is it's one of the most creative places in the planet, and it's it's Los Angeles as opposed to, say, Georgia or... I mean, Atlanta or Athens, say what you will. There were a lot of opportunities, but most of those opportunities would have been Euro-American in nature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that I I was being told not to participate or Mm -hmm. not to be a part of it. I I didn't feel motivated enough to be a part of that. So, um... In terms of diversity, you kind of mentioned mm-hmm. Los Angeles has a more diverse population mm-hmm. in comparison, mm-hmm. yeah. which is why mm-hmm. you're perhaps more motivated to mm-hmm. want to do the theater you want to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, so within that, have you been able to find the South Asian community here within theater that helps you feel motivated? And how do you connect with the South Asian groups here doing theater and yourself and your work? Right. Uh, that's a wonderful. That's a wonderful question. Um, so, uh, Los Angeles is home to 
the country's oldest continuously producing Asian American theater company, mm-hmm. the East West Players. Mm-hmm. And East West Players is currently led by a South Asian man, Snehal Desai. Uh, so who you know who's who's been trying to occasionally get South Asian content produced mm-hmm. on the EWP stage, mm-hmm. but um, for all we talk about representation, which is singularly and fundamentally important but as we know uh, y'all are south asian individuals yourselves Mm -hmm. uh, there is an anti-performance anti-creativity bias within the community yeah yeah we (laughs) love the fact that our kids can sing that our kids can Mm -hmm. dance that they can prance about in family functions but then the moment someone says i want to be a professional in Mm -hmm. this field people are like what they what you're not an engineer yeah you gotta do engineering you gotta do medicine i mean at least law. Somehow, yes, you know, yeah. law is not given mm-hmm. that state as all the Where the money at? Money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot. Yeah. So so there is that anti-creativity bias, which I would yeah. say in the South Asian community, which does, you know, lead to not a lot of work being done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snehal and I have, I mean, uh, and I, I don't want to put, uh, put it on him, but we had a discussion once, once upon a time as part of a larger interview where he, we, where he, he wanted me to think about that and that is something that I've definitely thought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, it is very diverse, uh, this area, but there's still a lack of presence and it, I don't necessarily know if that is the result of the system failing or if it is just the community not being as engaged as they possibly and probably could and should be. Right. Right. And so well, there... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, well, we were just... We've talked about this in previous yeah. episodes where they're mm-hmm. like, perhaps it's also just a lack of opportunities mm-hmm. available to mm-hmm. South Asians. Yeah, the mm-hmm. way that not only mm-hmm. is our our culture itself kind of discouraging of pursuing the mm-hmm. arts, but also, like, there is such a minimal amount of opportunities that that also kind of makes people not want to pursue it any further. Because right. it's like, why... I don't know why be an actor if there aren't even South Asian characters in shows sure, and sure. that kind of thing. So we've definitely mm-hmm. talked about that yeah. a lot in. Right, but in it's our a chicken episodes. and an egg problem, right? I mean, yeah, you, definitely. You, you have to put yourself out there yeah. in order to be seen, and then you will be seen, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, this business is hard, as we yeah. all know. You know, you're not going to. I mean, very few people step outside of an acting program or university or what have you and land up a role. It's, that that yeah. doesn't yeah. happen. Of course. But having said that, I will say I recently translated a play, uh, Red Oleanders by Rabindranath Tagore. It's a play from the mm. 1920s. And it's currently in production at, at the University of California, Riverside, mm. which I'm really uh, excited about. Uh, and and I wanted to hear the play out loud yeah. uh, mm. before it went into the rehearsal floor. Right. Uh, and so... My director, Rina Dutt, who has been working in the business for years now in L.A. and in New York and other places as well. Rina brought together a group of actors, a large number of whom were South Asian. Mm. And I had no idea that so many South Asian actors worked and thrived in our city. Right. So, you know, there are folks like Atul Kumar Bharadwaj. There are folks like Kartik Srinivasan, who I've seen on screen, by the way. He was in Guru, if mm-hmm. you know that oh, film. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abhishek Bachchan. So, Abhishek Bachchan. So, you know, and then there were people like, uh, oh, what's her first name? Uh, Tucker is the last name. Uh, and, I mean, actors who are, who are South Asian, who look yeah. like you and me, who sound like you and me, who yeah. understand the culture like you yeah. and I do. And they were there. So it's yeah. also a matter of us want us finding the communities that exist, right? Yeah. So it's um, 
but yeah, it's it's not it's not easy. It's definitely a difficult job. Yeah. Uh, but I I have felt a little more little more like I belong in the right. last couple of months. Oh, wow. Know? Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see all of this community of actors. It's been interesting yeah. to see because I've been feeling demoralized about creating all of this work. And hey, I love creating work for the classroom space. I translate for the classroom mm-hmm. space. Yeah. But at the same time, you feel like, what the hell is going to happen if yeah. this only stays in the yeah. classroom space? Right. If it's not given a performance, if it's not given a reading. Yeah. And I don't buy and believe in the excuse that a South Asian play should be played by South Asian actors alone. Very interesting view, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. why is Romeo and Juliet, which is about two idiotic <laughs> teenagers, <laughs> idiotic teenagers, yeah. not love. Anyway, but the point is, so Romeo and saying... Juliet is a universal story. Yeah, it doesn't have a universal to be. Story. Why? Yeah, why does it always have to be an all-white cast? Or why does it always, like, why can't we bring more diversity into these stories that and don't ca- always have to do with, like, race, race or something? Race like, or when gender, it's just a general yeah. story right. about And in turn, something. why can't our stories be therefore universal. be universal as well? I yeah. think the issue is a lot of people are facing now is that they probably want South Asians to be casted in South Asian plays because of the lack of opportunities. So mm-hmm. it's like, if this is a South Asian play, then we should first give those opportunities to the South Asians to fulfill something Absolutely. about their culture. Absolutely. Before we extend the stage to everyone. To others. Absolutely. Yeah. Chicken and egg problem. Though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at what happens. You have a play that needs 15 people. Mm-hmm. 12 people come into the room who are all, who are all South Asian, so yeah. they're all ready to go. Yeah. You have three ca- characters that remain to be cast. You can't find them because, like we discussed, yeah. there's not right. a whole lot of them out yeah. there also, right? What do you do? Do you cancel the production? Well, and when you cancel the production, yeah. what have you done then? Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. You've erased it's that perspective. To, yeah. Let's find three people. Mm-hmm. We can educate them about the culture. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean... We don't yeah. have to start with the Mahabharata or what have you. Because, Why not? Yeah. <laughs> because we don't know that, Jack, right? I, yeah. mean, I mean, how much... I mean, before I came to the U.S. and mm-hmm. I was exposed to this, you know, this this in, Indian culture as an mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. I knew most about Bengali culture. Yeah. 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 I had never had a Gujarati meal prior to coming to the U.S. <laughs> or, or, or a lot of South Asian, South, South Indian delicacies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember going to this restaurant called Madras Woodlands in Decatur, Georgia, and they had <laughs> something there which I had never had yeah. in India. Yeah. I can't even remember what it was. They're old. No, of course I do. Idiapam. Oh, I love Idiapam. Right? I mean, so those, good. Those, so good. People yeah, those, right? those like, noodles thing, <laughs> yes. right? And I was like, oh, there's my. an Indian kind of noodle? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my Amuma always makes it so good. Right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think it's because in the US, India or Indian culture, South Asian culture is seen as a whole, which has its pros and yeah. cons. Absolutely. And but for South Asians, you know, this is also mm-hmm. an advantage, yeah. right? So there which means that we can educate someone. Like, all right, let's catch you up to speed with what's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here are the five things that you need to know. Go dig your own go do some digging on your own after that. Yeah. Yeah. We can produce those stuff. Yeah. They stop, they, their the concerns stories. are global yeah, right. Right. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that we don't have to kind of look for that, you know, brown face. Yeah. yeah. If it's not there, yeah. then let's still tell those stories. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as we start telling those stories, we'll have more people who see themselves yeah. out there, 
who come out of the woodworks. Yeah, definitely. Well, another thing that like Saloni and I have just talked about a lot is how when like when we have shows like we've talked about Never Have I Ever for an example, mm-hmm, Mindy mm-hmm, Kaling show, mm-hmm. um, about how it's like it can be helpful to have shows like that because right. when you have like non when you bring non South Asian characters into those shows and mm-hmm. teach them like how to pronounce certain South Asian words right. correctly and right. names and things right. like that, and right. then we like show that on TV and then just every like random person starts watching that and hearing how to pronounce these things properly Mm -hmm. it like creates more understanding in like people's everyday lives and Mm -hmm. stuff which Mm -hmm. I feel like extends to those shows as well where Mm -hmm. like when we are it say it is still mostly a South Asian cast. If there are a couple of other yeah. people in that cast, they'll bring their friends who are from other cultures mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. will come to watch that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll learn themselves as mm-hmm. actors about mm-hmm. South Asian culture. And mm-hmm. I think like that is the biggest thing that we've talked about a lot is yeah. just trying to get more people involved in these yeah. things so that yeah. we can bring more awareness. Because I think sometimes when it's just South Asian only type yeah. of content yeah. it just brings south asians Absolutely. to come and watch that yeah. and so yeah. when we like i don't know bring it make it more open yeah. it makes more, other people feel more comfortable to come yeah. and then they end up learning a lot more and yeah. then that extends to how they treat yeah. real south asians right. in their everyday right. lives right. but i mean i do want to say with that also i feel like there is like we do need to be conscious of like what roles are being given or casted to non-South Asians. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because then that goes into like, you know, appropriation and appreciation as well of Absolutely. culture. Absolutely. We can't be putting a white individual cast as a South Asian when the struggles or things you're talking about, themes, ideas, motifs won't apply necessarily unless you are someone of color who's faced certain types of, let's say, discrimination or things against white privilege, et cetera, et cetera. So I think within that, we should include more people, but we also need to know where to, like, yeah, where to yeah. draw the line? Where to I mean, draw the yeah, line? I mean, let's say we can um, we can make a we can make a you know a policy. Let's say that we're gonna have a South Asian thing, but we're gonna look for anyone who's non a BIPOC artist to mm-hmm. fill that role. Right. right, right, yeah. Because any if it's a BIPOC artist who's in America, by virtue of their being in America, irrespective of whatever privilege they have, they might have enjoyed in their personal life growing up, etc. There has been at least an artistic struggle. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's you know let's call on that mm-hmm. and let's make that let's let's kind of bring those two things together yeah. to say the story right how about you know how about we have a a black actor yeah embody the struggle of a south asian person mm-hmm. cuz martin luther king understood that mm-hmm. when he went to india you know he 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 called it a pilgrimage then he went to india he went there to seek out gandhi very interesting. Then he went to South <laughs> India and he was introduced by the Dalits to a Dalit community as mm-hmm. here is a Dalit man from America. And Martin Luther King <laughs> felt insulted because like, oh, Dalits, you know, yeah, untouchable yeah. and whatnot. And then five minutes later, he was like, no, 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 no. Let's look at the gravity of what is happening here. I found a community yeah. Yeah. ready. They're accepting me. They understand my mm-hmm. struggle of mm-hmm. being excluded constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They understand my struggle yeah. of being second class. No, right. yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's why we can say South Asian stories. We can have, have you know, act, other actors other. of color. Yeah. 
kind of embody those. Yeah. yeah. To find are... powerful connections. Sorry, I talked no, about that. No, no, it's yeah, okay. That, 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 that definitely is like a, a communal yeah. understanding, at least, mm-hmm. to just yeah. being a person of color in general. And there's definitely a lot more understanding that we can gain from mm-hmm. each other and for each other's experiences that yeah. Yeah. I think... Yeah, only people of color can often understand. Sure, yeah. 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 And it's a phenomenon called intracolonialism, you know, where, you know, we bicker and fight amongst ourselves because white supremacy has told us yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Of, uh, uh, One because, to other minority. If other Latinos are getting cast, that means Yeah. Equity is not a goddamn pie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can all have equal everything. Yes. And mm-hmm. there will still be equity that people can enjoy. <laughs> it's not like someone yeah. has an extra piece of pie, it doesn't mean that I get less. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. No. We can all share this. Yeah. You know? We just need to share the stories. We are at that stage where our stories first need to be told. Yes. Yeah. And then we'll come to a point, you know, where I'm sure we'll also be in places and positions of, of, of authority where we decide what stories we get to tell. We have to first get there, though. Yeah. Right? And I think that's, that's, that's what we need to focus on primarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about representation. You know, everyone's going gaga over Bridgerton having these two... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the season right? that's coming yeah, out yeah, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've never watched Bridgerton. I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's love and drama. I don't know not my jam. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at teasers where they're showing uh, the South Asian yeah. actors South who have seen other shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 One of them's like in Sex, sex Education. education yeah, which, yeah, yeah. But I thought her parole was just brilliantly done. Uh, beautiful. But uh, they kept mispronouncing Sharma. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I know. Honestly, even, even in... Um, in Never Have I Ever, yeah. there was one yeah. episode that I kind of was like, oh, why? We're like one of the um, Asian, like uh, East Asian, I guess, yeah. characters um, in the show. Oh, she yeah. like calls, <gasps> she calls Davy and she's like, oh, you're just, so, you're a Tamil queen. And she's like, Tamil. And I was like, oh, couldn't we like have taken a minute to like re-film that? And she could have said like Tamil. It was like just a way she really dragged it out to. I was like, oh, exactly. like this I mean, was a yeah, perfect I mean, opportunity to, me, to like teach people how exactly, to properly pronounce exactly, that word. Exactly. And it just kind of upset me a little that they didn't take yeah, the time take, to just like, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. yeah. So that's the one thing. Yeah. I really like whenever they do have South Asian characters in shows, I think it like is so important that you make sure that everybody mm-hmm. in that show who's pronouncing any South yeah. Asian words, anything like that, yeah. names, whatever it is, are doing it properly because people mm-hmm. subconsciously will hear that and they will start to yeah, yeah, know and understand it. and then they'll yeah. actually meet like a person in their life who's like Tamil and they'll know how to pronounce yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, like, you yeah. know. But no, that's the thing. It's like, we were, we've talked about this in our previous episodes, like important for the writers, the producers, the director, the cast to have these like moments in rehearsals, behind mm-hmm. the scenes, mm-hmm. practicing these things. Like this right. is how you pronounce it. Because right. we were talking about, for example, with the Spanish language, the amount of words that we've all learned to pronounce properly, for example, just like not pronouncing the J's and right. stuff. Right. Most of the mass public gets their education from watching shows yeah. and film and they're not going to pick up yeah. a book and read yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if you have that giving you somewhat realistic... At least some understanding. Some understanding. I don't know. When I was a kid, I watched Dora, learned a bunch of Spanish words. Yeah. Sure. And it's like, you know, basics. it makes... Yeah. Yeah, like, and I think that it's just really helpful when we are teaching people how to 
properly pronounce these things because then it extends because we always talk about like how just people put zero effort into yeah. learning how to pronounce our names yeah. properly or oh, yeah. um, like things yeah. like that mm-hmm. and so it's like when we are teaching people like subconsciously through the content that they're watching yeah how to do that it'll just extend to like people's real lives yeah. and they'll actually it start putting that effort in will. as well yeah it absolutely will um, so I guess in a more general mm-hmm. sense, what does it mean to be South Asian to you and your identity? I think for, for me, it is, it's, it's the one key aspect of my life that, you know, that, uh, that on one hand I have zero control over because mm. South you Asian, are. I was yeah. born yeah. and that, that was it. Um, and, uh, but also something that has defined the way, the way I operate and the way I perceive the world around me. I mm-hmm. think that's that that is that is how I would yeah. uh, characterize it. It has given me my the way I perceive the world is a result of my South Asianness, yeah. and mm-hmm. it, it is it, and and therefore my South Asianness is a composite, and that has evolved over the over over the years. I was never a South Asian when I was in India. In I India, I was a Bengali. Say, yeah. In India, I was a Bengali because yeah. there, you know, that regional identity is more important. More, yeah. yeah. Uh, because that's who you are whenever you're going yeah. and stepping outside. And I would say he, even here, I think I'm a Bengali first. That, but I think the South Asian-ness, therefore, was something, even the Indian-ness to a large extent is something mm-hmm. that has happened as a result of this diasporic existence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, I think it's more yeah. salient here being South Asian because there's so many different types of people, especially mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. that like, you are your unique identity and people see it as well. Right, but right. Like for example, like you being born and raised <laughs> in <laughs> being born and raised in, in in India, like you said, you weren't seen as like South Asian in no, India. No, you know, that's no. not a salient identity no, then. No. But your salient identity there is being Bengali. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Over here, at least for me, what I noticed when I came to the US I didn't realize how salient my South Asian identity is mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Mm. Versus in Shanghai, right. and then obviously yeah. when I'm in Bombay or something. Right, right. And I think that, you know, because because the U.S. is so caught up and so mired in identity politics, where yeah. I think there's a, there's a good side to it, which is everyone gets to, or at least technically, should be able to define themselves yeah. for who they are and how they want to define themselves. So that's the positive side of that. Mm-hmm. But the negative side is also everyone constantly is trying to put you in a box yeah. of their choosing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you? You know, mm-hmm. and, and where are you really from? <laughs> right. Yeah. Even amongst the South Asians who have naturalized, who have been in, I know some some people who've been in the U.S. for sixty years. Yeah. Till before they were formally allowed to be in this country, they've been here. Yeah. But they're still Bengali Indians mm-hmm. or South Asians. Yeah. They have never become Americans. Their yeah. passport says otherwise. Their status says otherwise. Yeah. They have no relatives who are alive in India. Yeah. They have no connections whatsoever. Their references have become American. So, you know, like how, you know, you know when we go, we, when we are sick, we say, oh, just take a Tylenol. That's a very American thing, right? Oh. If you go there and say that somewhere in India, they'll be like, yeah. what the hell is Tylenol? <laughs> there you say, take a Calpol or take Crocin. a Digene or a Crocin or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, but these people have all lost those references. Yeah. They have no idea, but mm-hmm. they're still South Asians. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's one thing about South Asians is that you kind of, you also, and that is part of my South Asianness as well, that I do 
while I want to think of myself as a global citizen, yeah. mm-hmm. I think I, I still hold on to my South Asian-ness. Okay, yeah, so uh, that is, I think, part of our South Asian-ness as well. The, 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 the force, the value that we place onto that aspect of our identity. Yeah. And I'm not saying that is ubiquitous. I'm not saying that everyone feels that yeah. way, but the vast majority of people that I have encountered, I think think of it in those in those ways and think yeah. of it in those in those, I those think forms. it's interesting cuz a lot of people I think in our generation especially and growing up outside of India, we talked about this yeah. how they actively try to disassociate themselves from being South Asian mm-hmm. because of all the negative stereotypes sure. attached to being South, sure. A- South sure. Asian. Um, and right now, I feel like our generation is very focused on refinding their South Asian-ness and, and def- redefining what it means to be South Asian for them because I feel like it's different for mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. individual. Mm-hmm. But... um. Yeah, I feel like yeah. for a while, like at least for a lot of people, or a lot of people that like were South Asian not living in India or yeah, wherever, right, um, right. definitely felt like it wasn't, being South Asian wasn't something they could be proud of for right, a long of time. Course, yeah, And so I think for a lot of people, like um, both Sal and I have talked about this just like for ourselves as well, um, is the last bit has been a lot of us just trying to get back in touch with that identity and yeah. now I feel like we are in more of a space where people sure. yeah like people can be proud of their um whatever their racial identity mm-hmm. whatever their ethnicity mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. um and so I think that's definitely something yeah. that we've been we've talked about a lot but I think you know y'all are also the I think the the, the last few um years of of the, of the generation where you also were still growing up in in a in an environment which where there was a, a certain degree of i would say cultural animosity yeah. right mm-hmm. i mean you go to school and you open your lunchbox people were people were still like yeah. maybe people were like oh what's oh, that that's, man yeah, yeah definitely, you know, definitely. You, know, you, you you have your mm-hmm. uh, whatever you have your podies and yeah uh, yeah but or, 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 or what have you? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but um, but you know, you, I think that's that's another thing, though. I mean, there were moments in and and your South Asianness, but I, I think much more forcibly performed, therefore, at home, mm-hmm. yeah. where you had to be a part of the puja, where you had to be a part of whatever other ethnic celebration that was yeah. going on. We had yeah. to be mm-hmm. a part of whatever other you know, and it depends on religion, obviously. If you are a, if you're a Muslim South Asian. Mm-hmm. At home was where the namaz happened, and yeah. the uh, and the Ramzan happened, and the iftars happened. Yeah, that's where you suddenly were like, oh my god, this is a different cultural setting that I'm being forced into. Yeah, as opposed to when I go outside yeah. and I'm in school, that's the popular culture. Yeah, yeah. let's get the chips, let's get the burgers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. More exciting. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> And I think by even even with erroneous and problematic representations like the ones that we are talking about are yeah. seeing, mm-hmm. be it be it the be it the Sharmas in Bridgerton who no one knows <laughs> how to pronounce, or 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 the young women in uh, in uh, have uh, never have I ever or yeah. the mm-hmm. Mindy shows etc. People are more familiar with it. All of those things carry weight and carry value. It does, yeah. So consequently, I think younger South Asians, Mm -hmm. people who are, you know, about to graduate high school and get into college, or people who are in high school or even middle school, for their peers, it's not unusual for school lunches to have 
chicken tikka masala one yeah. yeah 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 it's not unusual for families to have indian night at yeah. home yeah and have naan yeah right? naan bread <laughs> yeah it's like chai tea and naan bread people yeah. i saw facebook post vocabulary yeah butter ghee oh my gosh but yeah, yeah. you digress i digress yes. but tikka get back quickly to our point that we were yeah. making I think people have more opportunities to see themselves in no, popular agree. and everyday life. Yeah. Which is probably making people a little more, you know, comfortable in their South Asian-ness. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Right? Like even I yeah. think about like um Sal and I have also talked about this before but like some of my younger cousins who are like just growing up now who are still like, you know, 6, 7, 8, that yeah. type of thing. There's so many like shows mm-hmm. on like um even disney and stuff like right. that that have like are about south asians right. yeah. or have right. south asian characters in it right. um so many more books and things right. like that like i whenever i look at their like collection of yeah. like children's books that they're right. reading to like my little cousins there's so many south asian books yeah. that they can yeah. read and i feel yeah. like i neither of us I, had those same yeah. things so i think that no. was like the biggest difference was not mm-hmm. being able to ever see yourself reflected in the media that you're mm-hmm. consuming yeah. or like whatever it is um kind of made us I don't know distance ourselves a little bit yeah. from that identity yeah. but it's really I do hope that like Sal and I are on the tail end of yeah. people that kind of go went through that because it it does seem like there's a lot more content for us now and I think Absolutely. it's like whenever I watch yeah. like yeah my younger cousins getting to like read that kind of stuff it makes me really happy that there's so much mm-hmm. more yeah. for mm-hmm. them that mm-hmm. teaches them about how like how wonderful and amazing yeah. our culture is yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um with that as a person of color in the mm-hmm. world of art, mm-hmm. what were some or are some of the challenges you have faced, are facing, etc. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I would preface this con- uh, this part of the conversation with is the challenges that I have faced are significantly minor and minimal mm-hmm. compared to what people who are actually hustling in the world of arts like you're trying to book acting jobs modeling mm-hmm. jobs mm-hmm. uh what have you any 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 actual serious creative work mm-hmm. face is nothing compared to what i have dealt with i want to first preface with okay. that so i you know i i understand those challenges but mm-hmm. i have no way of actually directly relating to mm-hmm. that for sure mm-hmm. Having said that, there is a fair share of challenges if you are a person of color in any in every walk of life. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for one of the things is that you're Im- immediately they imagine you as kind of what Sarah Ahmed, the great uh, uh, British Pakistani Australian scholar, talks uh, institutionalization of diversity. Right? Yeah. I play a role of diversity. I fill a diversity quota mm. no matter where I go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, and you know sometimes it is unconscious. Like I would say in the case of our department, it's unconscious. Yeah. I have never been called upon. I have never been asked to fulfill that role. That is mm-hmm. not who I am. Yeah. I teach theater history courses when and those are general theater history courses, and there have been no inst- uh, uh, no you know impositions placed placed on it. But at the same time, I am the guy that people go. in within the larger university mm-hmm, space mm-hmm. when they're like okay what is you what are your concerns how are you operating yeah yeah, yeah. Like, you should develop the you know the the course on 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 indian stuff mm-hmm, i'm yeah. the guy who does the indian stuff mm-hmm. right i'm the guy uh, who is who's called upon to deal with the indian yeah. stuff mm-hmm. right uh and so so that is kind of one one way of thinking one one challenge and that is not again 
it's more of a psychological weight where mm. you have to where every space you enter becomes yeah. a space where you have to kind of perform that role where yeah. you have to be that person where you have to kind of carry the weight of the entire community what if i don't care yeah. yeah. Or like yeah. are you you can't always know everything or be yeah. the person that's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, it's okay to I think that's like another thing that yeah. definitely just like as a person of color, I often have people approaching me like for approval over mm-hmm. like, "Oh, is it okay yeah. if I do this mm-hmm. thing or is it okay I if I know. do that thing?" Right. Yeah. And it's like I can give my opinions, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, right. I can't speak on behalf mm-hmm. of all South Asians. Right. I can't speak on behalf of all people of color. Right. Mm-hmm. I can do my best, right. but yeah. But there's also, yeah, as you said, what if you don't care? There's plenty of, I yeah. don't know, people of color who, who don't care right. at the same yeah. time, too, and, like, will allow you to do things that other people of color mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. think are problematic yeah. or, yeah. yeah, that kind and of also, thing. And also, you know, I mean, when, when one South Asian is asked to speak for every South Asian, yeah. there's, a, there's another problem. Mm-hmm. We're talking about almost two-thirds of humanity here. Yeah. There's a lot of us with each of those yeah. <laughs> changes, yeah. things that shifts. You can't speak for the next family. Yeah. Let alone speak for an entire group of people, right? I mean, the way that my mom makes dal is very different than the way my neighbors did. And yeah. it was yeah. fun to have both of them and yeah. kind of see which one's yeah. And that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true for everybody, for yeah. sure. But then, you know, there are some communities, some cultures where there it's, I wouldn't say it's easier, but there are certain through lines that the culture and the community speaks that there are things that connect us. Yeah. There are mm-hmm. things that we can relate to the entire group. We, South Asians cannot do that. Our language is not the same. Yeah. Our culture yeah. is not the same. That's we are true. not supposed to be a country. Those Each of those countries are not supposed to be countries, yeah. right? except for Bhutan and Nepal, maybe. They're all mm-hmm. supposed to be different principalities. Like, yeah. so, so that's one of the major challenges, obviously. The other is immigration. Right. Mm. Uh, that's something that, uh, as, as an immigrant, I have had to deal with, where you know my employer was sponsoring my visa, and employers often mm. are completely clueless about mm, how yes. to how to deal with the <laughs> oh paperwork, and they're definitely uh. clueless uh, here in the institutional setting that I am uh, in as well. So they kind of you know they 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 missed some steps, they misplaced certain things. There were some confusion that was yeah. created. Which could have been avoided, but that was created, mm-hmm. uh, which led to again psychological, right? No, it it yeah. does take a toll. toll. Like the mm-hmm. psycho, like even just with like Sal and I graduating, like the amount of questions <gasps> that I get from like well, also because yeah. I'm like I'm a tour guide, so I work right. in admissions. I'm right. constantly mm-hmm. interacting with like prospective families right. who want when they're on tours to right. want to know that like their kids are going to be secure and right. if they send them to right. university that it's going to yeah. result in like a good career afterwards. So I always get questions of like, what are you going to do next? What's your, what's your next plans yeah. post graduation? And like, I'm just like, honestly, I, it, don't. I don't really have that much control <laughs> yeah. over it. It depends on when I get my OPT and when I like, th- th- if I'm able yeah. to get a job in that mm-hmm. period yeah. of time yeah. that I have to get that yeah. job. Right. And then right. people are like, are you planning on staying here for like a long time? And I'm like, well, I can only think a year at a time. Right. I, Literally. I only, if I get a job here, then I can stay for a year. And then yeah. at the at that point, then I'll have to figure out what I want to do afterwards yeah. and, like, whether I will be able to find a job that's willing to sponsor me for a yeah. visa, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, the, yeah. just thinking about that stuff all mm-hmm. the time and not really having control over your future mm-hmm. is, like, it, it takes yeah. a toll on any yeah. person when you just are, like, when, yeah, it's somebody else who's deciding what's right. going to happen to you, yeah. what's going to happen to your yeah. career, whether you're going to be yeah. sent yeah. elsewhere and yeah. have to return to your home or whatever it is. Right. I think right. especially so in the arts, this is like from a perspective of 
South Asians or any person mm-hmm. who is not mm-hmm. a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. and is trying to make it out in the artistic world mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. it's a double the pressure of in the sense because yeah. working in the art field is already so much more pressure in terms of finding a job that's stable income mm-hmm. and all. Mm-hmm. And then once now you're a person of color in that, yeah. even harder because opportunities are even less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now add an immigration status yeah. to it. Yeah. We have three things, triple homicide right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. why we talked about in one episode how a lot of South Asian parents also probably discourage their children in the arts is because like financial stability, mm-hmm. especially if you're coming to the U.S. for education mm-hmm. and you have all these visa things to mm-hmm. worry about, mm-hmm. a stable job, sponsorship. Mm-hmm. It's like a valid concern at that point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for international students, I mean, for South, I mean, for non-American South Asians who are coming here to study, yeah. be it from India or be it from anywhere else in the world that they have been living in, that is a very valid concern. Yeah. Uh, of of their parents, of their families. I mean, if they're studying something that is that is that does not guarantee anything but you know i will add that that's true for any profession unless you're a university professor like myself Mm -hmm. where you know the h1b lottery does not matter yeah Mm -hmm. your job irrespective of whether you're an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor or god knows what else it is tied to an immigration system that is unfair yeah 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 right so everyone has to go through the lottery so mm-hmm. the parents kind of not doing it, that is, I would still say that's the creativity bias at play. Yeah. Because think of when we were young, we were all taken to arts lessons, sometimes against our choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, there are certain overlaps, but there are, I think that creativity bias is still yeah, forcing yeah. a lot of the decision making. Mm-hmm. But the other challenge, I think, so along with having to play diversity, along with the immigration stuff that, uh, that one has to... Uh, I mean, the other other pressure that a lot of people have to deal with uh, that you know as as a person of color as a first generation person and this has got nothing to do with creativity per se I would say uh, is when do you find the time to create mm-hmm. because you're also trying to make a life yeah yeah you're having to worry like you said to the triple homicide effect right you're yeah. worrying about immigration you're worrying about uh, and let's say you know I don't have to worry about I don't have to worry about immigration anymore. Mm-hmm. Thank God. I, I have my green yeah. card, so I'm, I'm secured for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, now I have a family. Yeah. And that, a family that only, I mean, Shantika and I are the only two people who can support and sustain and nurture our family. Yeah. So I'm, I'm supposed to be working on a script. When am I going to do that? Yeah. That is the question that yeah. I ask. And, when am I, and, and that, I think, is a, is a, is a challenge that a lot of non-BIPOC artists do not necessarily face. Mm, yeah. It's And, you know, yeah, it's a choice that we decided to have a child. It's a, it's definitely a choice. But I would still say that even if you didn't make that choice, if you don't have, if you are, if you have a support system that is eight, 9,000 miles away, yeah. that again does a psychological number to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there are, I don't think there are ways to articulate that yeah. very well. And yeah. I don't think there are people who, I don't think people understand that. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. you in your experience, what yeah. did theater education look like when you were growing up? Obviously, I know you kind of started yeah, your yeah. education in India, right. so like that would have more diversity and stuff to it. Mm-hmm. But what did you kind of find were the plays and things like yeah. that type of content that you were learning mm-hmm. in your education? Yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, as, as good colonial subjects, I grew up with a stable uh, diet of Shakespeare. Yeah. That's yeah. what we grew up with, and that was kind of what was happening. In terms of plays, I taught myself. Uh, yeah. I read as much and as many things I could get my hands on, which I enjoyed. Did you, did you focus on finding, like, plays that specifically were, like, South Asian or just any kind of... Anything that I could get my hands on. Uh, you know, Bengali books were more affordable. Okay, so I right. read a lot of Bengali plays as a result of it. My dad had the complete Tagore collection. So I read okay. Tagore plays as a result of that. Uh, and then uh, when I got into university and was introduced to Western theater uh, outside of Shakespeare, I started, uh, I started photocopying books that I could get my hands on and mm -hmm. photocopying them cover to cover. Totally illegal. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but I was doing, and then we had this thing uh, back in the day. I forget the name of the website now. It's been defunct for a while. This was basically located somewhere in Eastern Europe, but this dude was just uploading book after book after book after book after book mm, onto the oh internet. Gosh, yeah. And you could download them for free. There's still websites PDF. that exist. There are, there are, but they are, trust me, they're not as robust as this one. As I downloaded, yeah. like, you know, I know hundreds of plays from here, which I couldn't afford otherwise. Yeah. But then occasionally I would indulge a little bit, like, or my parents would indulge me a little bit. So I bought a complete Beckett, uh, which, yeah. you know, when I yeah. bought it, it was like 600 rupees. It was oh. a princely sum of money back yeah. in that day. So, uh, so that, but the play, the uh, oeuvre that I got introduced to was largely my own. So then, mm -hmm. the theater education that you got doing your PhD program here versus what is being taught right now mm -hmm. as part of theater education, mm -hmm. is there any difference? Do you, do you see us moving forward? I, th I think there is more emphasis, and co correctly so, mm -hmm. on DEIA work, uh, yeah. on, on diversifying the curricula that we have on offer. Uh, you know, I uh, the theater history. I had to take theater history because I didn't have a master's in uh, in in theater. In theater. Mm -hmm. And as part of the requirement of my doctoral program was, if you didn't have a master's in theater, you had to take those introductory theater history courses with the first and second year students of the department. But we were given a different number, whatever. Yeah. So I took those courses, and the it was all it was. All the plays that were there, I had read them. Yeah. yeah. I read my Sophocles. I had read my, you yeah. know, whatever, mm -hmm. little play cards and all of that uh, stuff. Um, but it was all very Euro-American, mm. whiteness-centered. Yeah. yeah. I can't say about every single course in the academy, obviously, because mm. I've certainly encountered colleagues who are like, you know, who still think of India as the ancient culture and therefore relegate Indian theater mm, to... to theater history when. where yeah. a one and teach <laughs> yeah. Shakuntala yeah. which I'm like that's an untenable play ten acts don't teach it no one's going to read it yeah. teach it yeah. one act play yeah. here are three in translation yeah. pretty good translations yeah. too yeah who am yeah. I right but uh, but I think there are ways that we have been uh, that again I can speak about myself I definitely want to try to diversify the theater history curriculum as much mm -hmm. as we can. And there are some instances where changes have happened, but in other instances where things haven't. Yeah, and I guess along those lines, mm -hmm. what are some ways that you are looking to diversify your curriculum specifically in the classes that right. you're teaching? Uh, so for, for theater history specifically, I, I think I've, I've, I don't like the, the chronological system that we had, especially in, in both the uh, sections of theater history at our university, that's the way mm -hmm. that it's uh, organized here. Other places have other methods of doing it. So I, I shifted to a thematic approach in one of them. And mm -hmm. in, in the, uh, and, for, and so that, that way we can look at 
similar phenomenons but across spatial and yeah. temporal boundaries mm -hmm. right because i think that is kind of important to look at how how the same thing how the same historical process was affecting places across the world yeah to kind of not confine ourselves to one place and the other thing that uh and for but for the second part of theater history what i've done is over the last couple of years at least that i've had a chance to teach it I don't teach any artists, any any playwrights who identify as uh, as white or male. Hmm. It could be seen as an exclusive practice, yeah. but the world that we live yeah. in has been exclusive for a very long time. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, women and BIPOC people have been left out of conversations. Yeah. So I, I want to make space for those people yeah. because yeah. they have been left out, and I'm I'm okay with leaving some people out for a little bit. Yeah. Until until the time when we can go back. Uh, to having them again and in terms of I also teach a class on Indian uh, Indian theater yes. and that's one thing that, that, that I know have, oh, <laughs> I have a question about that yeah. did you propose that class or was that already part of our curriculum I proposed that class okay. I was, Look I was, at that. Yeah, I was told that uh, that you know uh, that we have a class on Asian theater I could either go into that or if I was if I had an interest in proposing a class on Indian theater I could do that as well. Okay, I yeah. opted for the latter. Mm -hmm. uh, but e even in that class, I think, you know, when I first started teaching it, it was like a genre survey. I looked at various genres of performance. Mm -hmm. right? And then I realized that as uh, what I was doing was, was what Sarah Ahmed calls institutionalization of diversity. I was playing up to what was expected of me. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to talk about a bunch of brown people stuff. And then everyone's <laughs> going to go home and say, oh, look, we learned a bunch of brown people stuff. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and that, they're going to forget about it. Yeah. That's it. Right. I mean, there's, there's not, not going to be anything. There's not going to be a political exigency to that, yeah. to that uh, effort. So I started kind of thinking how what I could do. And I started what in, 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 in the Indian Academy is referred to as de-Brahminizing. In the American mm -hmm. Academy is referred to as decolonizing, I suppose, to mm -hmm. an extent. And the whole, whole point and purpose of that is you kind of, I, at least in my interpretation, you also decenter yourself as a person of authority. Mm. So I've started inviting more people, more scholars who are experts in individual areas. I've started giving them space in my classroom yeah. so that they can come and share their perspective. Mm -hmm. And we look at things that I would have, that I didn't look at previously. So like, you know, uh, well, plays by women in India yeah. uh, who continue to be uh, marginalized. Yeah. Plays that talk about LGBTIQA plus concerns in an mm -hmm. Indian context, which is an area that has very little attention yeah. in the Indian context. And start, then I started talking about Dalit theater. You mm, know, yeah, and I, yeah. I didn't even know for the longest time that the Dalit community was using theater under the guidance of Ambedkar himself to create a space for creative expression. Yeah, yeah. And I felt so dumb. Yeah. That, you know, I didn't know that. That, uh, and I'm, I'm calling myself an expert on Indian theater. So trying to kind of bring those voices into the conversation to the extent that it's possible within the yeah. classroom. Yeah. I think along with that, how do you think we can bridge this disconnect that not currently exists, but was you know the main story of white education in the theater setting how do we bridge that gap to what we want now which is diverse theater education i know you're doing yeah, works yourself yeah, as yeah, an educator yeah. but that's but for other i guess other, other people, people since like i know in our experience a lot of our theater education like i would say 95 yeah. percent yeah. of the plays that i've read Are, in my whole yeah. time in high school mm -hmm. and yeah. college mm -hmm. all that stuff have been like just mm -hmm. 
white plays about white characters and very minimal diversity. So I guess, yeah, how do, for other educators, they start to Mm -hmm. bring in other pieces to reflect our world? The first and most important thing that any educator could do is to, to throw out the idea of the canon. Mm-hmm. But throughout the idea of what they what what is preconceived as important mm-hmm. right what is preconceived or imagined as essential because as soon as that basic idea of what is essential gets reframed uh, and reimagined we can start thinking of uh, of a different a different way of approaching this subject because I, right now i think a lot of our colleagues a lot of a lot of People, a lot of theater educators are still caught up in this idea of that. Yes, all of that stuff is great, but here are some of the here are the ABCs, building blocks, what have you, one, two, threes yes. of theater education, and that includes Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and that includes uh, Ibsen, and that includes Chekhov. Yeah, and no, they don't. They don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean. Uh, the Chekhovian expression, the, the Chekhovian worldview is very different from our worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The Shakespearean worldview is very different. The Ibsenian worldview is dramatically different from our worldview. I would say you know, Shakespeare kind of still remains relevant and there are ways that we can bridge yeah. the gap that way. And if people must teach those things, which I don't know why they should, but if they must teach those things, then look for adaptations that have contemporized those texts yeah. or have spoken about contemporary ways yeah. to approach these texts. And you are doing two things here. You're still honoring a falsely construed canon, if you want, yeah. if you must do that. But the second thing that you're doing is you're kind of making space for a BIPOC voice. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, I mean, Chekhov, if you think, I mean, Lavina Jardwani, the South Asian uh, American playwright, she has a version of uh, Chekhov that, that one could teach mm-hmm. uh, instead of teaching whatever the original play yeah. is, right? And similarly, you can look at other, other plays, <laughs> other stuff uh, that have those contemporary resonances, that have those contemporary versions, and look at those instead. Uh, yeah. you know, Louis Alfaro, the great uh, Los Angeles-based playwright, and who's, uh, he teaches in USC, he has his uh, contemporary takes on classical texts, on, on Medea, on uh, on a couple of others which I can't remember that are right at the top of my head that we can look at. Yeah, I think that is such a good point that you can still teach like these works and if you really right. love like, yeah, Ibsen or whoever it is, right. there's so many other cool adaptations where you still get the mm-hmm. core of that story that people love but also get to bring more diversity in because I think that would also like compel, because yeah. that's the other thing like I I know in a lot of classes um, in the past, I've been, like, asked to, I don't know, just, like, think of plays or characters that exist that, like, ref- mm. that I could <laughs> play or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And it's always so hard. Like, I, I know so few yeah. plays yeah, that yeah. exist that have characters that, like, reflect people that look like me right. um, yeah. and things like that. And I think, yeah, it's helpful, very helpful when professors do show me yeah. and open my right, eyes to, right, like, other right. um content that exists and I think yeah it is it is hard when yeah. you're only ever reading yeah. mm-hmm. reading plays about white characters mm-hmm. because yeah. you don't get to broaden your horizon and also just for other people they also don't get to um, 
like get to learn about other mm-hmm. cultures mm-hmm. through that and then they continue to keep their like scope of things sure. in a smaller view. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's that's another thing. I think that's my problem with theater history as a discipline also in in some ways. Where I think we uh, in theater history we we forget that if it's a history class it has to be about historiography. It has to be about how the how history is written mm-hmm. rather than getting caught up in you know this is how the Greeks produced drama. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But why should one care? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what what has? I mean, I, I know the facts. Yeah. But what 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 good will it serve me mm-hmm. if I know that there was a theme lay in the middle of the agora and they sacrificed goats on it? Yeah. Unless you're bringing me goat curry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think you know. also yeah. diversifying theater education also just shows like art exists in other parts of the world that were very. Right pivotal yeah like mm-hmm. you know indian theater or japanese theater like right. kabuki mm-hmm. stuff, right. that exists right. and it is pivotal it's not just this eurocentric view Absolutely. that exists because those different theaters have right shaped yeah. what our world is yeah. today but we just decide not to credit it or not right. to talk about it but even if you talk about you know stuff like kabuki for example i mean, yeah. I mean and that's another problem right kabuki is not an archaic art form Mm-hmm. It still happens. It's still yeah. happening, right? There might be a show in the Kabuki Zat this evening, which has been sold out for a year. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a vibrant, alive art form, and that they were doing propaganda stuff with it during the Second World War mm-hmm. to yeah. get the Japanese people to get super excited about the damn Hi. war, right? <laughs> I know. Hi. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, so th- there again, there are ways to bridge the gap, and that is what I invite everyone to consider doing as yeah. well. To kind of you know think of ways that that we have perpetuated the problem while we pay lip service to DIA and, and ADI and all of all of this, all, all of all of these really important concerns, but we are still doing. We are only paying lip service. Unless we kind of throw out the playbook and say, we, we can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I yeah. think also just on a larger scale, what do you think institutions need to do in the department to have this diversity? For example, like seasonal shows that we have. Or like, yeah, just to support, just diversity, to support diversity. Both in their, <laughs> well, like, yeah, their shows or like the also supporting professors. I think, again, they need to produce a wide variety and wide diversity yeah. of shows for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, and definitely our department has tried doing some of that. Yeah. Uh, but I, and that's where, you know, the, my first part of the point was, was whenever they say stuff like we can't cast these because we have four South Asian people. And I was like, but have you cast these four South Asian people? What other thing have you cast these South Asian people in that they've mm-hmm. gone out for? Because yeah. you, if you have not, then you know, what you have done is you have denied this person an equal yeah. op- employment oppor- or equal opportunity to shine and to showcase themselves in any situation. Yeah. yeah. So then you're saying you can't cast South Asian, you can't cast, cast a South Asian play, but you can't cast South Asians either. So that right, is... Right, where do we go? Uh, yeah, yeah, where do we... Yeah. Chicken <laughs> and egg. Mean, yeah. Chicken and egg. We have to find a solution. So I say, you know, I mean, yeah, produce the damn thing. Let's see who comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We can find people. No, you're definitely yeah. anyway, right. And I think yeah. Sal and I definitely relate to that <laughs> in a lot <laughs> of ways. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I think it is helpful for mm-hmm. institutions to just not only diversify the shows that they're doing, but I know a lot of institutions still enjoy like like to do some of those like classical yeah. like building block plays that yeah. have been yeah. super foundational to a lot of things. Um, but I also think it's 
equally important to recognize like I because we've seen those plays often produced so many mm-hmm. times and mm-hmm. constantly over and over again mm-hmm. only seen like all white casts in those mm-hmm. shows I think it's also important for people to remember that as you mentioned, even with those South Asian plays, right. it doesn't have to be no. all one race. No. It really, no. so many of these stories are universal, and it, you can really have anybody playing right. those roles. And right. so I think that's another thing um, that a lot of people like mm-hmm. forget is mm-hmm. they they allow those like biases to kind of get in the way yeah. and like yeah. to produce things in the ways that they've seen it done before. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so I think it does. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a combination of yeah, it's both always. the yeah. types of plays and the ways that we're like casting these shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I guess kind of wrapping up with a final question. Sure. How do you see education um, in the arts impacting the world? I think arts, arts education in general, uh, kind of, you know, uh, should ideally, and I, that, get off, that often gets obfuscated into this whole idea of getting mired in the business of art production mm. and art creation, but should create more empathetic individuals. Mm. Because yeah. you know, at, at its core, it's like you're introducing, like we have been discussing, we're introducing people to a different way, a different culture. We're introducing people to a different way of life. We're introducing people to all uh, to difference, right? Yeah. And the more we introduce people to difference, we hopefully create people who are more tolerant of each other, yeah. more tolerant uh, of their surroundings, and who learn how to have conversations because they uh, they should get curious, right? Yeah. And there's so much to learn in the world that we live in, uh, and that I think that is a, a real important feature of arts education mm-hmm. this sparking curiosity kind of making people aware of what is outside of a very narrow frame of reference uh, and that is what art education does and that mm-hmm. is kind of complements you know the more uh, the more brick and mortar practical education if you will mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, that exists not that art education is not practical but I think that it it, it com- completes uh, the Completes the humanity of all the students who encounter it's holistic. It. Yeah, it's holistic. Yeah. yeah, it's holistic. Definitely. All right. I think that's all we have for today. Uh, Thank you so oh, much for joining us today and our wonderful extra guest yes. speaker. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of wonderful sleepy. extra commentary from yes. her. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. No. My yeah. pleasure. Thank you. And with that, I'm Saloni Kanani. And I'm Priya Dufton. And this is Brown Skin, White Lies.